This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, this is Joe's sister, Nikki. I think I might be the only girl in the world who has a brother who spends his entire day in the basement pretending he has an internet radio show. Jeez. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, we welcome Academy Award nominee and Emmy Award winning director, Jed Rothstein. Think investing in China sounds interesting? We'll have the other side of that story. Plus, I thought the time I blew 15 bucks betting on Joe's mom's poker game was a lot of money. But in our headline segment today, one NBA star blew through a $61 million fortune and is now deeply in debt. Plus, buying insurance online, one recent publication says there can be pitfalls. We'll talk to Haven Life's Yaron Benzie, who will help you avoid making a big mistake with your insurance. As always, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline today to Wynn, who wants to know why her tax refund is so small. We'll take a letter from a lucky listener and share some of my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who Joe's mom say are two bulls in a china shop. Joe and O J-J-J-J-G. You're the bull in the china shop, not me, man. I was driving out in the uh, back 40 a couple of days ago, and I drove past some ranches, and one of them was called Bucking Bull Ranch. Oh, boy. And it had, like, two big, giant steel bulls in front of it. Yeah. And I was thinking, if I owned a ranch, what would I name it? And I think Bull in a China Shop would totally be it. (laughs) Everybody, welcome to the Ranch Naming Podcast. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, as always, it's the one, the only, the O-J-J-J-G. See, I thought you were going to go. Andy can last more than six seconds, folks. Hey, barely. But man, it seems like you ate your Wheaties this morning. Oh, yeah. You are. Large and in charge. Hey, and speaking of working uh, out. Mm, mm. speaking mm. of food and good food, here's some good food for your credit report. This episode of Stag and Benjamin is brought to you by Lexington Law. For a free credit report summary and a credit repair consultation, head to lexingtonlaw.com forward slash SB. We're also supported by Magnify Money. You know, the place you go when you're comparing more loans, more savings accounts, more checking accounts than any place on earth, more credit cards. It's Magnify Money. All those tools you use on a daily basis. Why do you go to one shop and say, I'll take the best you got when there's places online, magnifymoney.com, where you can look at all the different range of stuff. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more and to find yourself OG giggling with delight like people are going to on today's show because Jed Rothstein's here. Jed, of course, uh, Academy Award nominated Emmy award-winning director, the China, all this talk we hear people talk about, Hey, what do you think about China? Do you like China? There could be some fraud going on. There could be. And, uh, Mr. Rothstein is incredibly good at showing you all of the points when it comes to the China hustle. And, uh, we've got him on today's show, but first we've got headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from CNBC. This is a cautionary tale by Kathleen Elkins. How a former NBA number one draft pick blew a, wait for it, $61 million fortune. Oh, that's fun. 
and now owes six figures. Former NBA number one draft pick Joe Smith earned $61 million over his 16-year career. Today's living paycheck to paycheck and owes $157,000. Quote, a lot of people think once you sign that contract, you're just an automatic millionaire, Smith tells former MLB star and businessman Alex and Rodriguez. You are, but okay. On CNBC's Back in the Game, in which A-Rod helps former pro athletes get back on solid financial footing. But it doesn't work like that. Nobody really explained that and broke that down to me. The Uncle Sam out of that $3 million, Uncle Sam's going to take probably $1.5 of that. That was just something I had to learn. I feel bad. So you're still a millionaire, but go ahead. <laughs> he, says, he says, you think you're going to be a millionaire when you get that first check. But I got three million and they took out a million and a half. So that doesn't work out for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's saying, though, oh, gee, that that's yeah, one of not. many things he had to learn. Like he thought he was going in with three million. He was going in with one and a half. And oh, I under yeah. and then I, agent fees. And- I understand how you can't live on one and a half. But know. but that's Start. just people. This sudden money thing never works out. It never works out. I feel like if you're somebody that has to work for it. You know, people complain that, hey, other people win the lottery. Why not me? I look at lottery winners. I'm like, I don't know that I want money that way. Because if I work for it, I have some. I'll cash your ticket if you win. <laughs> I, I'm not saying. I'll, I'll dole it out to you in $50,000 increments, I promise. I'm not volunteering to give it away. But actually, you got to play to win, and I don't even play. So, no, no. But you get my point. Sure. Yeah. First of all, I think this show sounds really great. A-Rod, who is very successful in business and obviously was very successful in his MLB career. Now taking his expertise and helping other athletes, uh, sounds like a really cool, uh, cool show there on CNBC, but you're right. This happens not only to athletes, this happens to folks that inherit money out of the blue, right? It happens to people that, you know, get a large bonus at work. You get that sudden hundred grand or, or a sudden million and, it, it happens to people getting their refund check. It doesn't even have to be $100,000. You're right. It could be a $4,000 tax refund check, right? What really got Smith off track was his spending, this piece says. Every time he was traded, moved, he bought a place to live in his new city. Quote, once I got traded, it was always tough to unload those homes, he told Rodriguez. I was always losing money. So it sounds like he didn't even try to rent them out. Right. He just, oh, yeah, probably. He just held on to the other one. Plus, his car collection included a Corvette, a Bentley, and two Range Rovers, among other luxury vehicles. Thanks to reckless spending, bad investments, and a costly divorce. The, That'll do it. There's another there's one. Half. There's another half million and a half gone of your three million. Smith found his fortune been completely wiped out, and his salary, which was never less than $1.3 million a year while he was in the NBA, plummeted after he retired in 2011 and switched to coaching 10 to 15 hours a week. At the time Rodriguez intervened, Smith and his fiancée, Keisha Chavez, were bringing home a combined $26,000 a year from various gigs, including Smith's private coaching lessons. But their lifestyle, which included a spacious home in the suburbs of Atlanta, still cost them $133,000. Math's still not adding up, OG. Yeah, yeah. Well, it all comes back to the same thing every time, doesn't it? It's always spending. It's always having a plan for your money. You like to deposit your check into your savings account and then transfer money from your savings account into your checking account to spend it thoughtfully. I like the uh, spending plan. You know, here's mine right here. Uh, Google Calendar. I, I love how everybody can see that. Made it's right for, here, everybody. Made, made for radio no. right there. <laughs> I'm holding up. I'm, it's legit because you can hear the paper. Yes. But yeah, it always uh, comes down to the same thing. Spend. And in our second headline today, a piece actually out of Australia I found interesting, written by Anthony Keene. It says, beware the risks of buying online as life insurance meets technology. We're doing much more online these days, and life insurance is no different. But specialists say everyone needs to check that they understand the cost and the risks. And I thought that, OG, you and I could go over this. But instead, I got a better one, which is we have an expert with us on my dad's shortwave. It's Jerome Benzie from Haven Life. Glad you could be with us today, man. It's great to talk to you again. Well, so I think this is true, don't you? As, As things move online, including insurance, people need to know what they're getting and how products are different. Yeah, so I would say it's true actually for any financial services product that you buy in any which way, which is it's good to be educated about the products you buy and understand the risks. And, you know, life insurance is is no different. I also think it's really interesting because actually 
one of the great things about online is that it's turned out to be a great resource for people to get educated about the products and services that they can buy. Well, let's dig into that a little bit, own. What exactly are some of the questions people should ask when they're buying insurance online? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And a lot of the questions are the same ones that you're going to want to ask no matter how you buy your life insurance policy. One of the important ones is first off, who is the company that I'm buying it from and what are their ratings? So when you buy a life insurance policy, it's usually backed by a company uh, that is going to be promising to pay the policy if somebody dies. And so, uh, for example, Haven Life, you know, in the policies that we sell are actually backed by Mass Mutual, which is a, a large 165-year-old company. And we actually just make it easy to buy those policies online. So that's one really important thing to understand is who are you buying a product from? Another one really uh, important to understand is know what is the product that you're actually buying. So there's lots of different kinds of life insurance policies, and there's different kinds of underwriting that can go along with that. And there's really good resources online to help you understand the differences and which one can be right for you. Now, when you talk about different types of underwriting, tell me about that. And obviously, in four minutes, we're not going to get to all of it. But what type of underwriting should I be looking for? Yeah, so a really important difference to understand is, or key term to understand, is what is called fully medically underwritten. And so those are just policies that really evaluate your entire health history to actually give you a price. And the good thing about that, especially if you're relatively healthy, it means that the insurance company, once they understand your risk, can give you usually a better and lower price by going through that process with you. So the more you as a customer share, the more they can kind of give you an accurate price and hopefully a better price. Now, this piece talks about, obviously, some of the pitfalls of going online, but there's obviously some advantages to buying insurance online your own. What would those be? There's definitely some advantages. Um, and obviously, we at Haven Life have been thinking a lot about how you make it easy to buy life insurance online. One of the great advantages is that we can really make it much more easy and convenient for you to buy a life insurance policy. And so, you know, a lot of people today are really used to doing their research online and are used to opening bank accounts and doing their brokerage activity online. And so, the sort of simplicity and convenience of, of doing it online is one of the kind of key things that we and others are trying to do in the space. I don't have to tell you about uh, regulators and about in industry regulation. I bet you could put a class on that your own. But as the envelope pushes, can you tell me about any exciting things that technology is going to bring that you haven't been able to do yet? Absolutely. Well, a lot of technology can do is help make the process faster and more efficient for you. For example, historically, it's taken people four to six weeks to buy a life insurance policy because that's kind of on average what it takes in terms of time to go through the underwriting process. Technology can really start to give people much better decisions and much faster decisions and insight into what the policy is going to cost rather than waiting that four to six weeks. How just just briefly, how is that? I mean, what is it about technology that makes that so much faster? Yeah. So uh, the world of kind of data has really changed a lot. And so one thing that can happen now is technology can enable insurers to look at your health history and process that in much more real-time ways and actually spit back decisions for you. So, you know, when you look at a person's uh, health history and record, you know, the world of data science and algorithms and all of that can be brought to bear in a way that uh, was much more, you know, uh, slow yeah. and offline previously. Yeah, it's cool. Like uh, I was, we were talking to the founder of Amino and some of the same stuff when looking at doctors like um, uh, medical record systems and things like that. Your own Ben Z, thanks for hanging out with us and helping us learn a little bit about uh, buying life insurance online. My pleasure. It's good to be with you. Big thanks to your own for helping us out with that one. You know, you buy stuff online, you got to know what you're getting, OG. You got to know mm -hmm. what you're getting. And I think uh, that's a good lesson. And lesson number two is uh, you start off with $3 million. It isn't about what you make. It's about what you keep. Spending plan. Jed Rothstein coming down to the basement. This is... This is exciting. I love it when movie directors come down to the basement. He is a producer and director, Academy Award-nominated, Emmy-winning filmmaker. He specializes in hard-to-get stories from around the world that help people understand one another better. And he's he's done everything where he has been uh, seeking out heavy metal musicians who become Arab Spring revolutionaries. 
Uh, that was, of course, PBS's Before the Spring After the Fall. Some pioneering doctors, HBO's Coma and Pandemic. Al-Qaeda terrorist, the Oscar-nominated HBO documentary Killing in the Name. Defenders of Free Speech, the 2009 Sundance film Shouting Fire. Uh, journalist on the Front Lines, Independent Lens, Democracy on Deadline. One of the great documentary filmmakers here talking about an incredible story about investing in China. Let's say hello to Jed Rothstein. And coming down the stairs to the basement, Jed Rothstein, how are you, man? I'm good, Joe. Good to be here with you. Well, you know, you've got to be excited to finally have this huge project reach the, the big screen. What does it feel like to be you today with this film opening in two days? Well, you know, it's always nice to see your work on a big screen and to know that other people are going to see it. You always make a film so that people can see it and hopefully so they can see it in a theater, which is always a great experience. You get to see the full mix. You get to see the, the picture and it's in all its glory. And um, you get to focus on it. I think it's a really nice thing just to be in a place for an hour and 20 or 30 minutes where you're, you've got nothing to do but focus on a story being told to you. So it's, for me, it's a, always a great time when the film finally makes it to the screen. Well, and this is quite a story that you're telling. And to help us get into it, I want to play just the first few minutes of the trailer. This comes out Friday. It's the China Hustle. What is capitalism? It rewards those who work hard but it also rewards those who take advantage of others. After the mortgage crisis in 08, everybody's looking to get their money back. China's this exploding market. It blew my mind. Let's invest in it now. Everybody thought, I want to be a part of the China growth story. We're making a profit. $22 million, $100 million, $20 billion, $50 billion. This was simply too good to be true. And it was... There are no good guys in this story, including me. I like how he says, Jed, including me. I'm not even a good guy. How did this begin? Did he did he bring this to your attention? What happened that made you interested in this project that's really a lot different than things you've done in the past? Dan and uh, John Carnes, who's also in the film, knew um, Sarah Gibson, who's one of the producers, and she brought it to Jigsaw and I have done a bunch of work here at Jigsaw and that's how I got involved with the project and that's how I first met Dan. They threw that, they said, well, would you be interested in taking a look at this story? And of course you want to feel him out, he wants to feel you out, so why don't we set up a meeting? And is basically as I describe in the film, I met Dan at a TGI Fridays and we had a couple of drinks and he told me this story and I started asking him questions and it was really shocking to me to learn some of the things he was saying. And and more importantly than that, I felt like he was a good person to follow because he was trying to get the word out and trying to actually do something about this. And he, and he had a real moral conviction to what he wanted to do. So to me, that was a, a good story to follow. And I did. But you still must have been sitting there at Friday's, Jed, and thought, there's no way this is all true. Like, even when I'm watching the beginning of this film, and we'll get into exactly what the China hustle is, you must have been thinking, there's no way this is all true. You know, I didn't know what to think of it. In a way, we were still recovering from the 2008, 2009 crash. And a lot of the fallout from that was still being sorted through. And what was really shocking to me was that it was just so, you know, I know we have had cyclical frauds and, and scandals and whatnot in the course of economic history. But the fact that it happened so soon, so immediately on the heels of the last scandal, and that also it was so complicated and nobody quite understood it or knew about it. I later came to learn there had been some articles written about it. But in terms of the general public, people really weren't aware of it. So it was pretty shocking. And that's why I wanted to take a deeper look into well, it. Well, you did a fantastic job of breaking down this complicated hustle in an hour and 22 minutes. And obviously we only have Thank about a, we only have about another 10 minutes, but is there a way to give us the basics to give our listeners, Jed, just what is the China hustle? Well, it's basically the story of how a bunch of in, small investors, small institutional investors, I should say, like Dan, in the wake of the last financial crisis, they were looking for a way to make back some of their investments, and they saw China as a real opportunity, and they started investing in these companies over there that had been brought to U.S. markets through a complex process that involves 
a bunch of middlemen, uh, gatekeepers. At the end of that process, these companies become listed on the U.S. exchanges and they become much easier to invest in for American investors because investing in China directly at that time was very difficult. And so these guys invested in these small companies. For a while, they made a lot of money. And then somebody over there, a guy named Carson Block uh, and some others with him, started poking around and they found out that a lot of these companies weren't what they seemed. And these guys then took a deeper dive and found out that a lot of them weren't what they seemed, that they were way off. Some of them were complete frauds. Some of them were hugely problematic material misrepresentations of different levels. And they began to start betting against these companies. They were shorting. So when you invest in a company, you think it's going to, its price is going to go up. And when you short a company, you're basically betting that its price is going to go down. And they ended up uncovering a lot of these frauds and problematic companies and kind of knocking them out of the market. And in the process, tens of billions of dollars vanished in this sort of big skim from everybody, from you, me, anyone who has retirement savings, some people, and we profile a few of them in the film who personally invested directly in some of these companies and really lost a lot for themselves. But at the end of the day, it was a sort of fleecing of the investing public and nobody really knew about it. And very few people paid a price for it. It just makes my stomach think, thinking about some of the tales that those individual investors you talk to the tales that they tell about how much money they lost. And I want to get back to that in a second. But when you talk about them going to China, you have some footage that to me seems like it's almost out of an action movie of these guys sending people undercover in to investigate these companies that really aren't what they're pretending to be. And did I hear this right in the movie, Jed, that if these investigators got caught in China, the rules aren't like they are here. There's some serious consequences. These investigators get caught. Yeah, and we show the story of uh, one investigator, Kun Huang, who spent about two years in a jail there, basically for doing research on one of these companies. One of the big problems in China is that you don't have the right to free speech. And for me, independent of this film or anything else, free speech is really the cornerstone of any sort of open society. If you don't have the ability to criticize and say and speak freely about everything in, in society, it it allows all of the problems and corruptions that are sort of endemic to the human condition to come out and to fester. And one of those things in China is that you could get, depending, varies from, from sort of region to region, but you don't have that protection and you can get into a lot of trouble if you anger the wrong people by suggesting that there are problems with their company. And that's what happened to Kun. He was jailed in, in kind of terrible conditions uh, for a good chunk of time. And it's really a scary and cautionary tale. And when he came out of there, when I first met him, actually, he had pretty recently come out of that situation. And he was clearly quite shaken up from it. I mean, imagine you're just doing yeah. your job and then you kind of end up spending two years in this terrifying situation for doing what you feel is the right thing. But you still, Jed, were able to get some footage of one guy pretending to be a tea salesman. How did you get that footage with those uh, consequences being so high? Well, the uh, short investors that we profile in the film had the way that they were able to understand what was going on with these companies was by researching on the ground, working with local Chinese researchers to go to these companies and to really just do the shoe leather work to see what was going on. So if a company says it has you know, 100 trucks a week, and you set up a time-lapse surveillance camera in front of its gates for six or 12 months and count the trucks, you can determine if they're telling the truth or not, or if they're, you know, if they're even close. If a company says it has X number of employees, as the example you're talking about, there are ways to go in and check that. And these guys at considerable risk uh, went in there and did that with secret cameras, hidden cameras. And what they uncovered was that a lot of these things were not what they seemed. You know, there's one of a company that claims it's doing all this business and the factory's kind of sitting there dormant. And then the day before a tour of foreign investors comes through, they turn on all the lights and bring in a bunch of people to start hammering away at the machines and everybody's smiling and the tour goes through. And then the next day it's quiet again. This is so amazing. When I saw that, that was just so ugly. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, even some of the people involved in dealing with these companies were kind of taken aback by some of the things that they saw there. I think... You know, there are a lot of cultural differences. 
there's a lot of um, misunderstanding that goes around. And, you know, I'm, I'm much more prone to blame the system and to look at what we can do to change the system than to look at sort of individual actors. I think everyone in a capitalist system, everyone's going to pursue their interest. And the question is, can we set up a system that demands accountability and transparency and puts in some measure of fair play? And I think what we have now is a 21st century capitalist system where money can flow across borders at the speed of light, or at the least at the speed of electrons moving through our financial system. And the financial regulations and the regulators and the people who enforce them are stuck in a kind of 20th century framework. And into that gap is where something like the China hustle happened. And you look at this whole scandal, there are some bad actors in there. But I think a lot of people were just kind of acting in their own interest. And there was just nothing to stop some of those things from going too far. You know, on the Chinese side, there were clearly some some of those companies where the management were, were clear frauds, or were doing purposeful misrepresentation of things to a great extent. On the US side, it was really legal, people were kind of pursuing legal business. And I just think that the system is flawed in such a way that it allowed this thing to get to this level before anybody figured it out. And even when they figured it out, it really took the sort of natural market mechanism of these short sellers, because while the SEC did eventually clamp down on some of this stuff at the tail end of it, I think it was most of the guys in the film argue that it was too little, too late. The people you profile near the end of the film, the people who are so into these individual Chinese stocks, Jed, that you mentioned earlier, some losing well over $100,000 and just looking in their faces. For some of them, I think it represented a far bigger piece of their entire investment portfolio than it probably should have, multiple hundreds of thousands maybe. As I was watching that, I was partly thinking that they invested that kind of money in a place where you really can't do a lot of research without the boots on the ground that these guys did. Isn't their loss partly on them for just taking somebody's word for it? Like one guy said, he's to your point, he said, the system's flawed. We got caught in the system. The system should take care of us. And I thought, yeah, but by the same token, I thought, why the hell did you put that much money into these companies where you can't do that research? Well, it's a fair question. It's a good question. You know, I screened the film at one point for some financial advisors They all said, you know, we would diversify. And of course, anyone that has a financial advisor or even, you know, reads online financial advice, anyone is going to tell you diversify your holdings. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. You certainly don't put them all in a in a small Chinese micro cap basket. Right. Uh, Right. You know, there's no way that you would do that, even if it was the most fantastic company in the world. You just wouldn't want to have it all there. So I think. You can look at it that way and you can say, you know, these were, you guys were foolish and you paid the price. And, you know, on some level that's true. But I would also say, look at someone like Ray, who's the, the man with the mustache in the film. You know, Ray and his wife are in their late sixties. They both worked their whole lives. Ray is a journalist in a small town in Tennessee and his wife is a nurse. And they're in a situation where they don't have any kind of adequate retirement provided by their jobs. The sort of world that used to exist where that happened was not the world that they lived in. And they thought that this was a way to give them a little more comfort in their retirement. And they're nearing the end of their, what they hope is nearing the end of their working lives. And I think that those, that desire to have that is, is normal. And our societies should be set up in a way that it's easier for people to enjoy that. And, and, you know, instead we're faced with these commercials that, you know, suggest that if you're really old, and you don't want to be working, the pathway to avoid that is to get into investing. Well, investing is great, but if you're going into that and you're not a professional, you're going to be relying on this world of brokers and financial analysts and whatnot. And even those analysts are relying on information that they get. And if we have a system where, as we saw with the China hustle, these management teams in China can put out false information um, with no disincentive, then you're you're going to be subject to a level of risk that could that could be wrung out of the system. It's one thing to have risk and transparency. It's another thing to have risk and lies. And I think when you have that, some of that responsibility goes back to all of us to try and set up a system that is designed to discourage and ferret out and hold accountable bad actors. And I think we all can do better. And I hope that this film encourages us to ask our representatives to 
advocate for a fair system. You know, now we're kind of going the other direction. I don't think we should just be passing regulations willy nilly, but there's a way to make our system fairer and more transparent. And, and I think we all have to sort of demand it. I thought clearly that these people were ill-equipped. And and to your point, just the fact that they're making these decisions and are in a spot where they could get just trampled was was absolutely horrible. Uh, the movies, and most of us are ill-equipped, right? I right. Mean, absolutely. You yeah. know, I would know enough, I guess. I wouldn't put all my stuff in one basket, but you know, it's very hard. If somebody tells you these companies are growing at a fantastic percentage, and you see that a lot of them are growing at a fantastic percentage, and you read articles about China being so amazing, then, you know, you're led to believe that this is a great thing. And I think if you're not a financial professional and you do something else all day, it's very hard to stay on top of it. Are you still bullish on China after this film? I think China is, was and is, you know, an amazing dynamic country with an enormous growing economy that's becoming more integrated into the world. And I met people like Kuhn, who is now not living in China, but grew up there. One of the guys who goes by the name Summer, who is a Chinese citizen who works there in the financial world, who are really, really committed to making China a great and honorable participant in the global economy and want this kind of fairness and accountability to come into their markets and are really taking risks to make that happen. So I'm bullish that that will happen and that, you know, the better angels and the, and the people in that country who are demanding this will prevail. And every time I've screened the film for Chinese journalists, I've gotten the same reaction. You know, they want this. They want to expose this. They want to talk about this. They want China to be the best place it can be with these fair and dynamic markets because there's a billion people there more and they want to build things and buy things and contribute. And they are doing that. But there's just because there's the system is flawed, I think, in many ways, and there's not free speech, you have a lot of room for these frauds and problem actors, and they want to root that stuff out. So I would say, let's work with those folks to support them and support their efforts and to make China a great partner in the global economy. I'm bullish on that happening in the long run. If you came to me right now with a, a fantastic Chinese coal company, I'd probably tell you that I'm, you know, I'm not that interested, but again, you know, you got to look into it. You got to look into it. You got to have the faith that the the gatekeepers and the bankers and whatnot are looking into it. Or if they're looking into it, that they're looking harder, obviously, than they did in some of these cases. And again, a lot of them will say they were fooled too. I think, you know, I can't look inside people's brains, but I would say, let's look at the system. And, you know, as people said, they said that in the film, I should say, people said, Hey, we tried you know, there's a stock promoter in the film. He says, look, I tried. We made a lot of efforts to uncover these frauds and they still tricked us. Yeah, a guy, Crocker Colson in the film says this. I believe him. He seems sincere, but I still think the system needs to be set up to flush more of this stuff out and encourage more transparency. And that's funny because uh, watching the film, Jed, I, I didn't believe him. But, but Crocker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, but- I mean, I think things are complex. You know, somebody gets into something. Why did they get into it? Then they discover little by little, they realize something else about it. I mean, who's to say? I, I don't know. But I, I do feel like I met a number of people in this who certainly started in it because they felt like there were a lot of real opportunities. And, you know, sure. I think I'll let the film speak for itself as to like what happened down the road. But again, the stuff on the American side was legal. I mean, these yeah. guys are working the system as the system exists. Operating completely above board. I've got like 50 yeah. million more questions I want to ask you, Jeb, but I'm out of time. I want to ask you things like General Wesley Clark walking out. I can't ask any any of these people just have to watch the film, The China Hustle. But I do have one last one. Sure. I, I just noticed just before you and I sat down that th- this is rated R. Why the, Is it the F word? I mean, what? Yeah, there's a couple of instances of, of the F word. And, you know, I felt like it was true to some of what the characters say. It's not yeah. to me. It's, you know, I'm not obviously I'm not I'm not the person that does the ratings, but. Of course, you know, you always want your film to be PG so it can be accessible to more people. But I think it's not a film that is uh, focused on that. But it is obviously true that there are a few instances of people saying that. And that's how some of these guys speak. And I think it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I definitely I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I I definitely didn't see it. I'll tell my audience. I didn't see it as a rated R film. And it really shocked me after watching it that, wow, huh? Rated R? Really? Yeah. It's not, nobody's being killed or there's no sex and there's no, you know, but if you take young people, you can cover their ears for a few sections (laughs) of of 10 seconds and you'd probably be okay. You're saving the sex and the people getting killed for your next movie, I'm sure. 
Right. 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 I'll let you know as soon as it's ready. (laughs) The film is The China Hustle. It's in, uh, where can people see it, Jed? All over. So, yeah, it's coming out on March 30th. It will be in theaters in about 15 or so cities, maybe a few more. And it will also be available same day, March 30th, on demand, iTunes, Amazon, probably somewhere else that I'm forgetting. But hopefully I'd love for people to see it in a theater. It's a great experience. And if you're somewhere that it's not playing theatrically, uh, you can find it online and, and rent it. Awesome. And we'll link to the trailer and we'll link to the China Hustle on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. Jed, congratulations on a great project and uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Joe. Real pleasure to speak with you and to see you. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And how about all of that China talk, huh? Let's keep that train a rolling with today's trivia question, which is this. You probably know that China's population is about four times that of the United States. But do you know where it ranks against other countries in terms of land mass? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. Thanks to Lexington Law for supporting Stacky Benjamins. We've teamed up with Lexington Law, and they're offering us all a free credit report summary and credit repair consultation. Who does Lexington Law help? Well, anybody looking for a home mortgage is one. But if you're somebody that needs better credit, you can get the credit you deserve. Their long-standing relationships with all three of the major credit bureaus, just one benefit of using Lexington Law. They have a deep expertise in knowing how to get errors removed, how that whole process works. And that helps the whole team at Lexington Law communicate how routinely and efficiently they can get things done for their clients. They tackle correcting errors on credit reports through three levels of credit repair to ensure each client's needs are met. Here's the deal. Use Lexington Law for credit repair and peace of mind tomorrow for a free credit report summary and a credit report consultation. Head to LexingtonLaw.com forward slash SB. That's LexingtonLaw.com forward slash SB. I right, raise your hand. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Uh, chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks. And guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class stuff? Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, back with today's thrilling trivia answer. The question was this, where does China rank in the world in terms of land mass? If you said 32nd, geez, crack a book open once in a while. But if you said 4th, you'd be correct. For extra credit, can you name the larger countries? I'll give you a minute. Okay, that's enough time. If you named Russia, Canada, and the USA... Let me know because Joe's mom now owes you a big hug. She's so darn proud of you. How could you miss our friends to the north? I don't know. I don't have an excuse, Canada. I'm sorry. <laughs> got Russia, got the U.S. I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't have an excuse. Oklahoma, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, thanks to Jed Rostein for coming down to the basement. I I think the the lesson there is before you invest in something, know a little bit about where you're putting your money. How many times have we said, if you're going to buy individual stocks, you need to know what you're investing in? 
people that depend on their money. And I understand what Jed's saying about the system has to change and all this, but just watching this guy who lost over well over a hundred thousand, you could tell it was a significant part of his portfolio and he's nearing retirement. Like, why are you that close to retirement putting that much money in individual stocks in China still gets to me. Mm, yeah. Still gets because he didn't do the right thing for the 30 years before then. Good point. Yeah, you get to the point where you're throwing long. Mm-hmm. Where you're throwing long. Not good. Sometimes Hail Marys work out. Sometimes they do not. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life. So, or rather, life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency are disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most. Legit Chinese, Chinese <laughs> penny stocks. <laughs> Legit Chinese stocks. <laughs> I like the shorting idea. It's like totally sticking it to them. It's actually a family in your time, and it's why they create a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. Go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free estimate for coverage and learn about life insurance the modern way. Our friend Wynn, who had a letter recently to us, she has a voicemail now. Say hello, Wynn. Joe and OG. I want you guys to be nice to each other, <laughs> and I need to ask you this question. I'm in the state of Colorado. I'm a teacher's aide. I just paid off my student loans, and I just filed my taxes. Well, one of my student loans. And I'm wondering why my tax refund is so low. Thanks for the question, Wynn. So student loan paid off. Would that affect Wynn's uh, refund check? Mm, maybe a little. You should deduct a little bit of your student loan interest depending on your income against your adjusted gross income on the front page. So if that's not there, if, you know, if the student loan interest isn't there, then your AGI would be a little higher and therefore your taxes would be a little higher. So... Maybe that's why. Yeah, what I would do, Win, is I would take last year's form, the form you filed last year, the 2016s, and your 2017 right. you're filing now, and just put them side by side and look at where the differences are. Because it might be that you had less income, might be that you entered a new tax bracket. There's 50 reasons why. Certainly, the student loan thing might be a little bit, but yeah, usually most tax software tools have like a two year comparison. You know, so you can, if you've done it on that platform before, you can you can just kind of line it up right on your computer screen. Um, in fact, that's usually one of the reports that you can print automatically. So that's a great great way to kind of just double check and make sure that all those numbers seem about right and about where they should go. Thanks for the question, Win. We also get letter down here in the basement. Letter. We get letter. We get letter. We get. We don't get letters. We get letter. <laughs> we we get letters. Today's letter. And those are numbers. Oh, those are not. Sorry. Seven. Uh, 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 uh. I get my kids uh, stuff mixed up. Today's letter comes from Nate. Last year, I had a high deductible health plan and established a health savings account for myself, a.k.a. an HSA. This year, I no longer have a high deductible health plan. I am, however, paying for medical expenses from my HSA account. At the end of 2017, I paid a copay, 35 bucks, at my doctor's with money from my HSA. Afterwards, my insurance covered 100% of that doctor's visit. I now have a refund check for my 35 bucks that was sent back to me in 2018. Can I deposit that 35 bucks back into my HSA, or am I unable to due to me being ineligible to contribute to an HSA this year? That is a uh, $35 question. So uh, if you had an HSA in 2017... You can make a contribution for 2017 until you file your taxes April the 17th of this year, 2018, for your 2017 year and apply it to that tax year. So if you got a $35 refund and you didn't max out your contributions last year, if you're single, the contribution max is like $37.50. If you didn't max out the contribution limits, then you can put that $35 back in. If not, I think you take your $35 and... Buy yourself a couple of Sixers and a tank of gas and <laughs> maybe a stop by Redbox at CVS on your way home and have, have a U night. It's all about you. 
the, just what Nate was looking for. That's all Nate wanted. He doesn't really want to put it back in. He wants your permission to have permission. a you, to have a me have, night, right? Have a you night, yeah. Nate. Pour yourself a bubble bath and some uh, white That's wine. A good idea. You can go to you can go into CVS with what's left after your two Sixers and a Redbox visit, <laughs> and a tank of gas, and get yourself some of those. Uh, what are they called? Those. Uh, a bath bombs that you put in the water and they <laughs> there, like fizz. There it it's is. Like Elka seltzer for your body. Right. Congratulations. You 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 got thirty five. Cleans, cleans all the nooks and crannies. Got 30, <laughs> 35 bucks back from a tax free. It's a tax free bubble bath. <laughs> <laughs> How great is that? Thanks. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and across the top of the page, you'll see questions for the show and click that link. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review. Check this out. This review going on mom's fridge. If I could, this is the title and it says, if I could only ever listen to three podcasts, stacking Benjamins would probably be in my top five, five stars. Nice. (laughs) This is by Cash Chat Snap on Snapchat. Oh, this is our friend Greg. Hey, uh, what's up, Greg? Yeah, we know Greg. We met Greg at FinCon. Greg says, uh, just kidding. It would definitely be in my top five. I'm proud to have been a longtime fanboy and plagiarizer of the content from the Stacky Benjamin Show for years now. I can't think of a better place to go to laugh at nonsense that occasionally has a financial focus. If asked to describe the Stacky Benjamins crew in one word, I'd say, I'd need more words. If asked to describe them in one sentence, I'd say, really? One sentence? You're that busy? Okay, fine. The Stacky Benjamins crew are a great bunch of fun, informed, caring, financially minded people who are quickly off topic, but always on point with responsible money stuff. If you're new to financial education, it's a great way to get your feet wet with fun, interesting banner. Great show production with Inform host and guest and Doug. I was honored to have the opportunity last year to meet the full crew at FinCon. It was crazy amazing. They're such kind and supportive people who really want to help and share. Not to brag, but when I informed OG that I've been worried about coming across as creepy, he told me that I was only, quote, only a little awkward. I can now... I can now cross being zinged by OG off my bucket list. Keep up the great work and thanks for all your support too. Sorry, this review is such a long time coming. That's really nice, Greg. Thanks for the review. Uh, Thanks to everybody who reviews this show. And uh, congratulations, OG, on giving Greg a good zinger. Nice job. Woohoo. Was that when we went for a barbecue? With barbecue, him? yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. We got to sit and hang out with Greg at a pretty good barbecue place there in Dallas. Mm. Cheesy potatoes. Yep. Best in, best oh, in the city. They, they were absolutely fabulous. And last thing, if you're looking for good financial help in your corner, OG's taking clients. And how do you get on his calendar to talk about what it takes to get him in your corner? Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and there you have it. All right. Uh, coming up on Friday, big, big fun roundtable. We've got Mrs. Groovy from the Freedom is Groovy blog joining the fun with uh, our one and only OG and Len Penzo. So it should be a great show coming up on Friday. We'll see everybody back here Friday. Until then, go stack some Benjamins. Bye-bye. So what did we learn today? First, investing in China? Take Jed Rothstein's advice and do your homework first. That investment might not be what you'd hoped. Second, looking to buy insurance online? Follow your own Ben Z's advice and ask about underwriting and the health of the insurer so you know what you're really buying. But the big lesson? Don't talk to Joe's mom about China. Next thing you know, she'll start babbling on about how the fortune cookie isn't a traditional Chinese custom and that they were invented in 1920 by a worker at the Qihong Noodle Factory in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, it's like the most basic fortune cookie trivia out there, lady. We all knew that. What I want to know is how they get that little slip of paper in there. That's the real question. Special thanks to director Jed Rothstein for stopping by to talk about The China Hustle, opening nationwide this Friday. Thanks also to Yaron Benzi for helping with today's headlines. You'll find him and his company, Haven Life Insurance, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. 
I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks to Joe's mom for dishing out ice cream and some China-related ice cream trivia. She explained that China invented ice cream and that Marco Polo was rumored to have taken the recipe, along with the recipe for noodles. That guy was a thief. He took them back to Europe. Once again, knew that. But I wonder, who has the recipe for ice cubes? That's the real question. I know you've got a uh, lengthy story here in the uh, I don't. dessert site. Yeah, it's just, all your stories are lengthy. And then we got back in the car. I buckled billions, my seatbelt. Billions came out this past weekend, season three. And I forgot that Showtime doesn't launch them all at the same time. So yeah. I was really excited because I'm like, I'm totally going to binge watch Billions for like a week straight. And they release them one week at a time. Oh. So I'm kind of bummed. But uh, so I haven't I haven't seen the first episode yet. I'm going to watch it later this week. But uh, so I can kind of knock out two. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do like late in the week, do one, then do the one that comes out Sunday and then wait another week and a half, you know, and then do kind of two back to back. But anyway, Billions season three just launched on Showtime last weekend. Awesome. Fantastic. I wish I had Showtime, but I don't. Weirdly enough, if there's only an app you could download. If only. If yeah, only. but then I'd still have to pay for it. And I've got tons of stuff. It's, on. it's 10 bucks for three months, 30 bucks. And then I'm done, you're saying. So I pay 30 bucks yeah. to watch yeah. the Billion yeah, series. And then I'm going to turn it off. Yeah. Actually, by the time you got through the first two seasons, the third season would be probably wrapped up. You could probably binge watch all three seasons in a row. I didn't really have much. I just thought over a few episodes, I'd, I'd tell stories from our week-long trip on the road because we had funny stuff happen. I rode with my son. He's starting his career with Microsoft in Seattle. And so we rode across country taking his car from Texarkana to Seattle. Partway there, we stopped in uh, Las Vegas where Cheryl, had, my spouse, had a uh, was having a conference and we stayed at the conference hotel, which happened to be one of the suburb casinos as well, and uh, spent a couple of days there as a relaxing time. My son had never been to Las Vegas, and he wanted to learn how to gamble. But today I wanted to talk about this place on I-40. Uh, so we get up early, head out. I do my stupid one-mile run at like 3.30 in the morning so we can head out. We finally get going and... Uh, Stop in Amarillo for a late lunch at this place called the Big Texan. You familiar with the Big Texan? Have never been. But you've heard of it. Have not. Oh, it's this huge roadside attraction. They've got signs for miles and miles that it's coming. Is and it like Bucky's? They Yes. Yes. But probably bigger. Not bigger in terms of square footage, bigger in terms of its notoriety, people uh, stopping there. But the crux of it is... They have a 72-ounce steak, and if you can eat it in an hour, you get it for free. Hmm. And so Challenge accepted. And so we walk in. We walk in, and it's such a kitschy place. It's, it's, really, it's really funny how it's just – it's so Americana. And uh, just – I mean, there's a gift shop with a bunch of junk in it. They now have a microbrewery where you can buy the 
big Texan beers. Of course, I had to try that out because uh, Nick was doing the driving at that point. And then we sat down for dinner in this room that looked like it's right out of the, you know, Disney's Wilderness Lodge or maybe one of the countless lodges that it's based on. But there's wild animal heads all over the room. And of course, you have the, you have to have the chandeliers that are antler chandeliers. We sat down and there's a stage. They have an open grill where they're grilling the steaks and you can watch them grilling steaks. But in front of that, they have a raised platform with a table. And they, they, if you decide to take the challenge, they sit you up at this table. One guy had just sat down and they have these, these clocks, these really professional looking clocks, like a row of them. And they had one that had just started. It was like at 57 minutes. We got there and there was a dude sitting at the table. You eat all the fixings too, right? I don't know. You know, it's funny. We were talking about that with somebody yesterday and, and I, I don't know. I think you got to eat the steak, the potatoes, the baked beans. You got to eat the whole. What I asked, what I, what I did ask our server, I said, if he doesn't finish this, how much is it? And she said, it's 78 bucks. So, okay. Yeah. But I thought, I thought, okay, if you lose, you got to pay almost 80 bucks for the steak. Yeah. If you win, don't you still kind of (laughs) lose? Like, I don't because you're gonna you're gonna be so you're like sixty two ounces in your in your gullet just seventy two are you saying there's sixty two left? No, I'm bit... saying you got you got down sixty two, you uh, didn't make yes. it. Yes. And so you're like oh. But even if you get down all seventy two, you kinda lose. Right? <laughs> I mean sure you got picture it on a wall. Yeah, you got it for free. But what was amazing was on our menu they had photos of the uh, photos and the story of the woman who is the reigning champ. And it was incredible that this is not a big person, by the way, who is the champ. She's just kind of a normal looking person. And she, she ate the first one. She ate three. She ate one in four and a half minutes, a second one in six minutes. And the third one in like eight and a half minutes. Huh? 72 ounce steak in four minutes. She ate three of them in an hour. Not, not, Not in a row. Yes, in the same hour, she holds the record. She's eaten three of no, these steaks. Come yes, on. no, I'm. Well, if the back of the menu's right, then that's that's the two hundred and whatever oh. twenty ounces. Of- Could you imagine? Duh. No, I cannot. What do you do for the next hour? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, I know what you do for the next. Hour. <laughs> I know what you don't do for the next two weeks. Move. You know, stuck in one spot forever after that. It was horrible. I know they put you on one of those uh, like uh, inner tube rings, you know, because you're going to be sitting in one spot for. It was so campy awesome. And, and you know, the business owner in me really liked what I saw. You make the best of what you have. I mean, here they are in Amarillo, Texas, which is pretty flat. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's a nice town, but there's, there's not a lot around Amarillo, you know, besides what's there. And if you start this little highway attraction, these people just kept working on it and working it. Well, what do we need to add? Let's add a gift shop. What should we add? Uh, they had this little guy who was in <laughs> kind of horrible humor, but he's in an electric chair. And he's talking about how he tried to steal this. You put like a quarter in, you can watch the dude uh, fry. And then they have, they have these Halloween pictures that you can buy that are on the that are on the wall where they look like respectable families, and then you look at them from a different perspective, and then they're all you know Halloweeny. They're like zombies and stuff. I mean, just the microbrewery. They had a motel. They had an RV park. It just just they kept reinvesting and reinvesting. And now you go there, and it just. You hear the carnival music start playing the second that you walk in, and it is just, it is so over the top, brilliantly bad. It's awesome. And we had a great time there. Well, I'm sure we'll get out that way eventually. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond 
Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.